Hello and welcome to the Keeping Abreast podcast with Dr. Jen, the show dedicated to empowering women through knowledge, tools, and resources to take control of your breast health journey. I'm your host, Dr. Jen Simmons, and I'm thrilled to have you join me on this insightful and inspiring journey. As a breast cancer surgeon turned functional medicine physician, I'm on a mission to empower women to live their breast and need best lives. This podcast dives deep into all topics related to breast health including prevention, diagnosis, treatment, and holistic approaches to support overall well-being. You know what I say, breast health is health. So no matter who you are, a breast cancer survivor, newly diagnosed, in treatment, living with metastatic disease, or you're simply seeking to improve your breast health, this podcast is for you. Join us on this transformative path towards better breast health and a thriving life. And now let's get to today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Keeping Abreast with Dr. Jen. I'm Dr. Jen Simmons, your host, and you have a special treat today because today I have with me Dr. Thomas Lodi. Dr. Lodi has a very interesting and circuitous path to where he came to today. He's probably one of the most educated men I've ever known. He started off his career, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but you started off your career as a psychologist, and then you became an MD and a homeopathic doctor. You are trained in integrative medicine, anti-aging medicine, regenerative medicine, functional medicine, and your specialty is in the world of cancer care. But what you really do is make medicine make sense. Do you think that's a pretty fair summary of, of who you are and what you do? That very good. Excellent. <laughs> so one of my favorite stories about you that I'd like to start off with, because I know that you are someone who deeply believes in plant-based living, but in the beginning of your career, you worked for none other than Dr. Atkins. <laughs> so can you tell us what it was like being a closet vegetarian with Dr. Atkins? As we all know, the only way to really keep a secret is to tell no one, right? <laughs> so I told, I told no one. No, no one knew. I, I didn't, anybody else I knew there, I didn't even tell them that. But um, I went to work there because I had uh, closed my conventional clinic a couple of years before, and I had traveled around the world looking for, um, by the way, I don't know if, I, if you knew this, but uh, I read a book by William Campbell Douglas Jr., MD. The third BMD, anyway, whatever. He's a third generation medical doctor. Um, and he wrote a book called uh, Medical Miracle. And it's about hydrogen peroxide. And it talks about, he's the guy, and this was back, back in 92. He, he's the guy that was, um, he dedicated the book to a, to a man named Charles Farr, MD, PhD. He said, to whom the world owes a great uh, debt. Because Charlie had basically... He was a biochemist, then he became a medical doctor. So he had basically figured out the relevance of peroxide as a, as a biochemical intermediate in so many reactions. I mean, it's even necessary for the iodination of thyroid. I mean, it's, it's involved in everything. So it's part of everything. Anyway, he did that. He, he's the guy that and kind for, of mapped that For out. people that don't know that, we make hydrogen peroxide in our body. 
We, we make it readily all the time. It is one of our greatest internal weapons against invaders. And so the understanding of hydrogen peroxide wasn't always there. I think it's still not really there, right? right? No. Because when we talk about high dose vitamin C, most people don't know what's happening there. They think that they're mm-hmm. getting super antioxidant doses. And in fact, that's not what's happening at all. Exactly. Um, So high dose dose vitamin C stimulates production of hydrogen peroxide. So does ozone. Ozone stimulates. So so hydrogen peroxide is a really fundamental thing. Anyway, it wasn't he was nominated for the Nobel Prize in 92. He didn't win because I guess I don't know why. Maybe it was controversial. But um, so anyway, when I left my conventional world and I went. Anyway, I read the book Medical Miracle. And when I finished reading it. I could no longer ethically practice conventional medicine. I closed the book, closed my clinic, and left because it, it, I realized that I, I realized that what we do in in uh, in, in in the hospitals um, has nothing to do with physiology. Yeah. And and and, and We're so for I for sure I just, doing it wrong. Yeah. We're for so sure I just, doing it wrong. I went all over the world. I went to Charlie Farr. He was the first guy I hung out with for a couple months, and I apprenticed with different people, mm-hmm. and that's what I did. But I wound up finally in New York, and the last guy that was was Robert C. Atkins, because because this guy was smart. He had he he was one of the pioneers. He had all these fantastic protocols. His diet didn't work. <laughs> didn't work. We found we found him fibrillating on the ground. People did lose weight. Yeah. Well, mostly men. It did not work well for women, but they suffered because it actually was so atherogenic in that, yeah. you know, it caused heart disease. Yeah. So what drew you to cancer care? Well, you know, when I was a resident in New York, I, um, you know, I did a, a, a rotation through oncology and I love, I love, I just loved because it was, you had to know every subspecialty of medicine really well to deal with people with cancer because people with cancer, you know, Everything and anything can and does go wrong. And so you have to be aware. You have, you can't be, you know, like I was talking to the orthopedics. I remember talking to an orthopedic resident and he said, um, you know, the only reason we have a heart is to pump Keflex to the bones. <laughs> right? I mean, and I said, no, that's an antibiotic for everybody. That's a boy. Or yeah. I don't know if it was Keflex, but it was an antibiotic for the bones. In other words, he was saying all they think about are bones. And you all know if you've gone into the system, the cardiologist doesn't care what's going on with your, uh, legs. He doesn't care what's going on with your periods. He doesn't care about anything, just your, yeah. your heart. And then they have all these subspecialties and they fragment the human being up. And the problem is we are not fragments. We're not mm-hmm. systems. We made that up. We know yeah. the heart, the cardiovascular system, you can't not include the lungs. Yeah. You can't. It's really the cardiopulmonary, but mm-hmm. without the kidney, without the liver. So in other words, it's really one system. Yeah, you know, for sure. We and, are one system. So in oncology, I realized that, and that was good. And the one thing I really learned that I loved about uh, working with cancer was that it was finally the one condition where people stopped negotiating. And they said, oh, okay, stand on my head for here for three hours. Okay, then, okay, you know, finally, yeah. you know. And then, so you really had an opportunity because you know all we can do, the best we can do, at our, our role is to teach and to mm-hmm. inspire mm-hmm. And, for sure. And you can only, only teach and inspire people who are ready for it. That's so exactly anyway, right. that's, 
that's why I went. And so anyway, I started the fellowship, but after about three months, four months, I, uh, I couldn't do it anymore because we were killing people. So I left the fellowship. I worked as an internist and uh, in ICUs and CCUs and stuff like that. But when I finally did all my training, my all my. So when you said you left the fellowship, you mean you left an oncology fellowship? Yeah. Yeah. Because you were killing people. Yeah. 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 And it's amazing that it's still not well understood. I mean, people still readily sign on for chemotherapy, for radiation, despite the fact that these treatments, if you even want to call them treatments, are so damaging and they readily sign on for them. And I love what you were saying about that, that captive audience that you have in a cancer patient. But I'll tell you that I mostly deal with people with breast cancer, not exclusively, but mostly. And there is still a subset that like doesn't want to do the work. And you're right in that, you know, we can only be a trusted guide. That's all we can be. We cannot do the work for people. And there are always going to be people that just want to take the pill, that just want to do the treatment. And they just want to do that because in the end, they don't want to take responsibility for their health. Mm. You know, this whole concept of us taking responsibility for our health is not well appreciated. People really still want to farm out their health to someone else. And the someone else is the system that is not, that does not have their best interest at heart. And if you look at, if we take apart the words we're using, like, I don't know, there's, there's a lot of good, significant lies, but one of the greatest lies ever perpetrated upon the human race is that health is impossible and disease is inevitable. And for that reason, we grow up with that mindset. For that reason, we get insurance. We get insurance yeah. because we gotta, we, we're planning on getting sick. That's what we're planning on. And so we have insurance. Oh, my God, you don't have insurance. And you went to medical school. I went to medical school. And anybody else that went to medical school will agree and attest to the fact that we may have had a little one small course in irrelevant nutrition, but we had zero courses in health. We never studied health. Zero. Never. So if we didn't study health, we should be forbidden from using that in our titles as healthcare professionals or whatever. You can't because we don't know what health is. All we know is we're, we're really good at naming and defining diseases. In fact, that's what you get licensed for. Do you know the person that goes to jail for practicing without a license is the person who diagnosed. Mm-hmm. You can't diagnose. You can't tell someone you, that they have this. You have to be. A, you have to have a license. Anyway, so there, so doctors know nothing about health. And that should scare us enough right there, because if they know nothing about health, how can they help restore us to it? They can't. So if you know that from the outset, and then the other one I just want to do is just so everybody understands is that that's an absolute lie. The truth is health was your birthright. If there was 5% of us that are born in trouble with bad genes and, and we're really sick and we've got all kinds of, you know, re- I mean, real, real mutations, but 95% of us are okay and, and, and you know and we, we're gonna we're gonna be okay so uh, we and our and our we were born to, to be healthy and optimally functioning and the reason we don't has nothing to do with our genetics it has to do with what happens in our lives right and, and a, lot, a lot of times that's not controlled you got weird parents or whatever but I'm just saying it's not genetics and 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 that's another one because when we think it's genetics that makes us feel helpless and we got to go to those guys with the white coats because they can fix us. They got the form magic formulas. 
right? Uh, and, oh, mm-hmm. hey, it's in my jeans. Well, I might as well smoke and do crack, right? Yeah. No. Absolutely. <laughs> no, but that's what people think. They, they yeah. do believe that disease is inevitable. So, you know, yeah. eat, drink, and be married for tomorrow will die, right? Exactly. That, that mindset is very real for people. Uh-huh. And so, you know, with that mindset, it's nearly impossible to be healthy because being healthy is an active process, right? Yeah. It's something that you have to go out and get. Uh, health is like respect. You can't negotiate it. You can't purchase it. You can't force it. You can only earn it. Earn it. And health is something you earn. So if you if you're sick, you've earned it. And if you're healthy, you've earned it. And whenever I'm sick, I always I I I, I think back what I what 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 did I do? And I always I'll always find the answer. And uh, it has to do with n- not living in accordance with my biology on some level, right? And you know whether it's I went to bed late, I ate something I should, you know. It, it, if you're living in accordance with your and you're and you're satisfying all your biological needs. The consequence is optimal functioning. That's just the way it is, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't true. mean you can't do bad, uh, do fun things once in a while, but just once in a while. I think people have a lot. They they take a lot of objection to that kind of thinking because you know they they get into the whole like blame and shame and victim blaming. And it this is not to say that anyone does anything intentionally to get sick. I mean, sometimes they do, but even like I always say, even people who smoke cigarettes, they don't smoke cigarettes with the intention of getting lung cancer, right? I mean, it happens sometimes, but that's not their goal. And there are many things that people do in their everyday lives that they, they, they sometimes don't know that that is associated with cancer or the situation is beyond their control. So I think if we can think about it a little differently, reframe it and Mm -hmm. say, you know, what needs to change so that I can regain my health so that I can recapture my health without thinking of it in terms of what did I do wrong, but what, Mm -hmm. where, where is my opportunity? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right. Right. So that, so that guilt and blame and shame aren't a part of it. But hope and optimism are right, and and then you know, listen. Not, just like we did not choose our parents, we did not choose our first best friend. I mean, it, it all just kind of happened. Yeah. We didn't choose the language or culture we were born into. You know, life. You know, and, and so what you become and what you're doing is, you can almost say it, it's not something you're doing; it's happening to you. It's it's a happening, and unfortunately. I think 99.999% of us grow up in households who eat foods that are not healthy, that have, you know, family dynamics that may not be healthy, yeah. you know, whatever, you know. And so, you know, let's say your parents didn't want to get divorced for the kids. That, you know, parents love to say that. They didn't, well, for the kids. Well, the kids know. They know sure. everything. So, they, yeah, so you're not hiding sure. anything. They're just learning, oh, wow, I guess you got to compromise your, your happiness and you have to lie yeah. to your kids. You know, it's a lot of bad lessons, actually. But yeah. so we can't blame ourselves. What we have to do is just realize where we are. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, here I am. I, I, I got all these habits that don't work for me being healthy. So I just have to learn to change them. But it's not it's not like it was my fault or, you know, I'm, and you're exactly right. Because that uh, one of the most important uh, aspects I'm looking at right now with 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 cancer in general is immunology. And I really think if um, 
you know, that tumor microenvironment is like, you know, you got this hungry macrophage shows up, turns into a tumor associated macrophage is now working for the enemy. But anyway, there's a new, I think it's become actually a, it's become actually a, a real discipline or a real uh, field of endeavor called psychoneuroimmunology. And psychoneuroimmunology is based on the, on the, on the understanding that 90% of thinking is subconscious, 80% of human thought is negative, and thinking is not voluntary. It's a thing that happens to you. It's not like you decide what to think. Yeah. Right. Most, so most con- thinking is involuntary. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, just, it's, just, it's just happening. So here we are. So if that's happening, that means as long as I'm thinking, 80% of it is like I have my foot on the brakes of my immune system because the immune system is the shadow of the mind. Yeah. And so that's a big deal. So if I'm guilty, if, I'm, if I have regrets, if I have anger, if I have sadness, fear, all those things will directly suppress my immune system. Yeah. Directly. And we can measure it. So one of the things that we have to learn to do is don't, as a psychologist, you can't fix the mind because the mind by its very nature is broken. It's not a real place. It's a place of images. It's a place of words. It's a place of, it it has, it's a, it's not a, it's not a, it's not real. It's not a real place. It's in India, they call it, uh, uh, it's the house of illusion because you know, your memory and my memory of, 2.43 2.43 p.m. yesterday, even if we were at the same place, will be a little different. So what really mm-hmm. happened? Well, you know, and then the rest, so, so I mean, yesterday really isn't, and tomorrow is definitely debatable. In between tomorrow and yesterday, it should be, could be, might be, could have been, should have been, maybe an if. And none of that is. It yeah. isn't. It just simply isn't. Therefore, but that's where we spend 99% of our time. And... The only thing that's real is right now. And the beauty th- beautiful thing about right now is you can't think about it. You can only experience it. If you're thinking, you're not present. And that's what I call you know, meditation. It's learning to turn off your mind. And when you do that, we've measured it. I mean, they've, they've done it with tran- transcendental meditation. There are different kinds of techniques they've used where they measure immune response from mm-hmm turning off the mind and it goes up. So I, one of the things I, w- I recommend for everybody with cancer is five times a day, if you pray, if you have a religion, sit down and thank God for being alive and, and then spend two minutes listening with 100% of your being to your breathing, because that's where God lives in our breath, and listen to your breathing for two minutes. And do this five times a day. It's not a long time, it's two minutes. And the reason I say it five times a day and for only two minutes is because you can't do longer than two minutes. You couldn't do, you probably can't even do 15 seconds. You'll find your your mind over here. Then you got to bring it. But anyway, you'll yeah. develop it like you'll, like you develop a muscle. You'll get a strong sure. and you'll, you'll develop that ability because we have to learn to shut it off. Right. Cause, uh, and especially those people that have to go in the hospitals and, you know, cause the minute you walk into a hospital, it's bad vibes. It's, you know, immediately it's a house of the horrors. Yep. Right. And, yeah. So you yep. got to walk in there and be like, you got to have that ability to turn it off when yeah. you walk in. And, to, and it's training like anything else. You know, you don't you don't expect to be good at something unless you train. This is another place that needs training and needs to be trained. Um, I remember. Um, oh, I'm just drawing a blank on her name of Ziva Meditation. She said that. You don't meditate to get good at meditation. You meditate to get good at life. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I know that Joe Dispenza is doing a ton of work on the uh, connection between your thoughts and the immune system. And with yeah. negative thoughts, you, you they, he's demonstrating in the lab decreased immunity. Yeah. And Chris Work talks a lot about forgiveness because mm-hmm. when you're stuck in that place of anger and negative emotion, you're only setting the stage for more disease because you're yeah. taking your immune system out of the equation. And so mm-hmm. we don't we don't forgive to condone someone who wronged us, we forgive so that we can stop them from hurting us again and again and again. You know what? Uh, that, that, that forgiveness, you're right, is, is, um, it's really important. But you know, it's tied really very, the, 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 the other side, the flip coin of, of uh, forgiveness is uh, uh, with self as well, guilt. Because mm-hmm. here's the thing. Remember a moment ago, we were discussing uh, the fact that we're born into this family and culture and, you know, here I am five years old. I mean, I, I, you know, and I'm all the things that I am, I just kind of happened. It's not, I didn't do any of it. Right. So, um, so you got to look around and you realize that that's, everybody's gone through that. Nobody is, everyone was born into whatever they were born into. And so you've got to say, I got, listen, I, I get it. I'm not a bad person. I didn't want to, you know, I, I'm not trying to blah, 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 blah. Same with the other people. If you realize that about yourself, because remember, at the, at the Oracle of Delphi in, in Greece, at the top of it, it said, there's two words, know thyself. Because if you know yourself, you know everyone. So when I speak with authority about people, the reason I do that is because I know me. Because if I know me, I know you, because we're the same. You know, we took anatomy class. So you took it, and, and, and anybody should think about this. I know we all have this celebrity we grew up in the celebrity world, but um, in anatomy, I think we had two people on every cadaver and we had, I don't know how many, 16 or whatever. But when we had the test, the practical test, you'd have one minute at the station and there'd be a little string tied around uh, an artery. It'll say, it was, this structure, uh, the embryonic origin of this structure is, right? Now, how come it's the same everywhere? How come I could go to any of them and find the same? Because we're all the same. You peel off the skin, or even the skin. You, I don't care what color it is. It's we, we are the same anatomically. We are the same. There might be minor variations, like a millimeter or something like that. Um, and, and then other than that, how about how about as how about on a psychological level? We all need love. We all need to be loved. We all need to touch. We need to be touched. We all need uh, uh, to be appreciated. Right. There's those, those, are, those are human needs. Those are things. And so we're really all the same. Even Tom Cruise and uh, Angelina, they're the same. They don't even know it probably because they're too busy uh, believing the story about themselves. But the truth is we are all the same. And when you understand that truly, deeply, on, on a very fundamental level, then you can, of course, forgive everyone and yourself and just say, let's all work together to get through this and teach each other and help each other. And, you know, and that's where... So it turns into a love and compassion type of uh, interaction rather than, uh, you know, vanity, greed, and this is mine, that's yours, you know. So I think very fundamental. And um, it's hard to forgive people. Like I, I can tell you there's a few people on earth right now. <laughs> I won't so mention any names. You're not ready? You're not ready? I'm not ready to forgive uh, a couple of those guys up there at the World Economic Forum and things like that. I'm just not, can't, you know, but I, yeah, so... 
I get it. I get it. And especially for some, and, and I know a lot of women too have had to, I'm so glad I'm a man. I don't have to deal. I wouldn't have to deal with men because yeah, it's not I, feel sorry. I feel sorry for women because men easy. are a Oh, men are a bummer. It's so hard to find a good man. It's so much easier to find a good woman. I, I mean, I've met a lot of good women in my life. I tell my husband every day, do you have any idea how hard it is to be me? He yeah. says, yes. <laughs> but he has lived with me and witnessed it for over 20 years. So, yeah. So I, I want to transition to you. You have a very unique view on what is cancer. So I, I want to talk about what, what is cancer? Okay. Fundamentally, here's the interesting thing. There is not one or even two genetic mutations that are, you can be found in all cancers or even a third of the cancers. The only thing that is across the board in every cancer is something called the Warburg effect which is a physiological metabolic effect, which means that even though the, these cells still have mitochondria and you, and you give them oxygen, they're still going to ferment. They're still going to do glycolysis. It's called the Warburg effect. It's called aerobic glycolysis. Mm -hmm. And they've done that just because it, it makes them flexible, they're stronger and all that. That has to happen. That is cancer what we call cancer and so so once the cell so here's what happens everyone knows has heard of mitochondria mitochondria are very efficient at taking one glucose six oxygens and turning it into 36 atp plus two in the so 38 altogether so now, that you, that is the place that manufactures our energy our right? energy the mitochondria exactly. are the factories of the cell that manufacture atp that is what we use that is our energy spend Right, exactly, exactly. And as it turns out, it's very interesting. As, as it turns out, there is an average of uh, minus, it's the way they write it is minus 57 kilojoules is the amount of energy every cell must have, whether it's an elbow cell or a fast beating heart cell, and including a cancer cell, that's how much energy it needs to operate. So, and so energy is fundamental, because without energy, a cell can't do its work. Right. So, when its ability to lose, to make energy starts to uh, be damaged in some way, the immediate homeostatic response is to go to the fundamental uh, way of making energy that all life forms can, which is called fermentation. So it goes to that and it starts to ferment. So now it has to upregulate this gene, silence this gene, do this, and change its epigenetic expression or its genetic expression so that it can now successfully chronically ferment and that's what it is and that can change as soon as the environment changes it will have to adapt again that's yeah, why these so that's what's so interesting about your take because most people think that a cancer is something foreign it's not right, right? the cancer is is a part of you it started as a part of you and cancer is a response it's a reaction to what's happening in your body it is a reflection of a disturbance in your homeostasis, right? It's an imbalance. And it's an adaptive process, just like, just like yeah. becoming insulin resistant. You become insulin resistant, not because the diabetes bug got into you. No, no, you become insulin resistant because your body has the wisdom of God and it knows if I don't become insulin resistant, the cells are going to die because the, there's too much glucose will kill them. So yeah. that's an adaptive, corrective 
homeostatic response. So that so it's not only can't can, I, I I that's why I call all what we call diseases as myths. They're not diseases because that implies it's a thing outside of us that gets into us and takes over and we have to get rid of it. Well, that's not what it is. I just stop eating pasta, bread, potato, rice, and, and I won't be insulin resistant. We're talking about type two, right? Type two diabetes. So, but I'm just saying, so, but the same with cancer. So theoretically, and it's not easy, but theoretically, all you have to do is change the environment of your body so that that particular adaptation that we call cancer is no longer necessary. And by doing that, it will go away because the body was hardwired to optimally function, which is called health. That's, it was hard, that's what the hardwire. When we look at the wild animals who've never run into humans, they're robust up through the, you know, old, their older age and they, they, you know, they're, they're powerful animals. And that's how we would be. You know, we look at the Hunzas, you know, and we marvel over the fact that, you know, the men are able to, uh, uh, impregnate women at 110 and the women are still giving birth at 65 right i mean and, you know and they're still running up and down the hills that a 30 year old couldn't do and they're doing it at 120. what well, yeah. was well, because we aging really and aging and they're all the same thing aging is really the accumulation of toxins over time once those toxins accumulate sufficiently in your endocrine organs then your endocrine organs start producing less hormones and that's when you see the phenomenon of aging. You see menopause, you see andropause, you see wrinkling, you see osteoporosis, you see all those things. And the reason I say that is there was a doctor, anyway, 1915, Nobel Prize. He took chicken hearts and he wanted to see how long they would last if he prevented waste from accumulating. So he just cleaned it out every day because they didn't have any machines in those days. The experiment was finally abandoned in the 50s. They were still alive. Chicken hearts. Wow. Wow. I, I, I'll, I'll get that to you. I'll get the name. But the, the point is this. If we don't accumulate waste, maybe not immortal, but I can certainly believe the, 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 the stories of before Noah, before the flood, when we averaged 912 years. Yeah, because, I mean, if we were eating the Adam and Eve diet, which is Genesis 129, which says, you know, eat plants. Didn't say anything about microwaves or anything like that. Just said, eat the plants. So... Uh, they were living long and robust and like that, you know, like what was, you know, they had children. And so anyway, I think what we have here is not only and, and what cancer is, realize cancer is just one. There are several different metabolic adaptations that the body can go through that are dead ends. Cancer is one of them. Yeah, it's one. And you can yeah. get there in many ways. Now, I mean, I, what I'm what I'm learning right now, I'm, I'm preparing a, a lecture that I'm going to give in Bangkok um, in two weeks. Um, on parasites. So I took a, de a deep dive into parasites and <laughs> I'm blown away. D did you know that they thought that cancer is really due to this micro protozoa that we haven't identified? And this guy, there was, a, there was at the, Ma not the Max Planck, but the something Pettenhofer Institute in, in Munich. I mean, really, you know, kind of like uh, MIT or something like that. And, uh, they found it. They photographed it. They found these things. Royal Raymond Rife, that's what he was doing. Royal Raymond Rife found these things. He, the, the microscope in those days, the average microscope could go up to 2,500. He went up to 15,000. And then finally, he went up to 60,000. And he was able to see these things that we can't see with other microscopes. Yeah. And it was replicated. Other people came and they said, wow. And then they said, okay, Royal uh, Rife, let's see. 
Let's show us your stuff. Here's 16 terminally ill patients and all 16. Uh, Does that surprise you? I mean, I think that they're so ubiquitous and we know how inflammatory they are. Right. And so does it surprise you that there's a huge link between that the chronic inflammation and parasites and cancer? No, no, not the chronic inflammation. Just the fact that it doesn't even come up as a as as a potential. I've never heard it. It's just I'm just like, what they're really there. So so really if we're not dealing with that, then whatever we're doing might not work in the end. Yeah. So we really have to be doing it. So what I've been looking at is not only, you know, uh, one, one thing I use are the, I, I use a lot of the anti-helminthics, you know, the worms to kill the worms. Uh, Cause we all have, we, and we all have worms, by the way, they're, they're finding microorganisms in Lake Michigan that they u- used to find in um, down in Ecuador, down in Brazil. So it, it's, they're, they're everywhere. So we used to think that, you know, parasites were just third world countries, but it's, it's not that way anymore. So uh, no, I mean, you can get them from eating strawberries, right? They're yeah, everywhere. They're right. everywhere. You can be a vegan because the, yeah. a lot of the work, they have a, they have two parts of their life cycle and one is in the soil. Yeah, that's exactly so right. You, so they're in the soil. Uh, but they're, but the other one we, we don't kill very well. We don't spend a lot of time on are the protozoas. So uh, the protozoa, and so those are like the, uh, the main ones that we know of are like Giardia and, um, uh, there's a uh, uh, trichomonas. The you know, women know that one, and uh, entamoeba. Uh, you know there are different kinds of protozoa, and we don't have a lot. We have metronidazole, we have tinidazole, and we have um, uh, there's another one. Nitazoxanide is another good one for that. But the reason it's so important to understand is, and I know a lot of holistic people say, well, I want to can't just why can't I use herbs? And here's the here's the reason you can, but here's the problem. These guys are laying up to 2,000 eggs a day. And when you kill them, you kill the, you kill the adults, all right? These eggs are going to hatch. And so that's why uh, I was working with Dr. Simon Yu, and, you know, he does three or four weeks on, one week off. Right? Listen, I, I got to tell you this one. I have a, a, a fellow right now with a – he's a neurosurgical oncologist. Wow. And he's got a glio. He's got a glio. So we, we identified his teeth. He extracted the teeth. And you got them on these anti-parasitics and all that. It's been a year. It's shrink everything. There's nothing coming back. It's shrinking. That doesn't happen with Leos. It just doesn't happen. That's As amazing. You know, there's almost gone. No more edema, and they're almost gone. And uh, and I'm glad he's a surgical oncologist because now he hope. I said you please go back and tell your buddies. You talk to people. Tell your friends. yeah. Let them yeah. Let them know what happened. Yeah. yeah. It's really interesting that you brought up the tooth extraction because that's another thing that people are not thinking about that is a huge source of chronic inflammation is what's happening in their mouth. And they Shoot. they don't think about it. And they've had root canals and they've had they have, you know, mercury fillings and amalgams, and they just don't think about a connection between what's happened in their mouth and chronic inflammation. That is then a trigger for that microenvironment that is hosting or or promoting that transformation. Exactly, exactly, um, exactly, and 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 that's it. And you know the thing is, what happens? Like what I've learned from talking to Hub to the biological dentist is that what a lot of people don't even realize is, let's say they're going to have braces put on when they're a kid, they they might do some extractions. They don't realize it. But most dentists don't do extractions correctly. They don't take out the periodontal ligament. They certainly don't clean it 
and then put ozone gas in it and then yeah. fill it up prf they don't do those yeah. things so those, no. they get they get colonized and then what happens the the organisms make a little cave in the bone above it it's called a cavitation and you don't feel anything you think everything's fine it's not swollen it's not tender it's nothing yeah. like that meanwhile it's producing all these biotoxins and all that and it's going along the meridian and it's going to affect your organs and so yeah absolutely so these are the these are the so exactly what you're saying so no the fact that chronic inflammation is the underlying physiological process that goes on any any degenerative disease and call including cancer but I, I just wasn't aware of how profound parasites were but but so dental infections and parasites then you've got to clean everything out completely and then you've got to not retox that's the big one not that's retox one. yeah yeah so you know, I, I want to get into talking what people should do when they get a breast cancer diagnosis. Uh, obviously, we're both in agreement that they should be treated for parasites because they're so ubiquitous. They should have a holistic dental evaluation, but you have a pretty specific plan that you put people on. So can you talk to us about you know, how you start people off when they, when they get a breast cancer diagnosis? Really the first thing that I do, uh, cause I usually meet people over zoom before they come. The first thing that I want to do is remove the fear and remove the doubt and anger, all the negativity. And the reason is the medical profession has spent since around 1990 has spent hundreds of billions of dollars to make the word cancer what it is today so that when you hear that word you're paralyzed someone has basically said you have no more future that's what they've said to you and so that's why these women go in there and so women are so afraid they have a lump and you know you can't blame them they're so afraid because really well, no matter what you say that they, they believe i'm gonna die there's nothing well, I can they do. are bombarded with fear i mean they really exactly. are that between the surgeons and the medical oncologists and the radiation oncologists, I mean, these women are being told that if they don't listen, if they don't comply, if they don't get in line and, and, right. and, and accept all of these treatments, that they're going to die. Exactly. Right? And, and they're then, scared to death. And the funny thing, well, not funny, but the ironic thing is that the people that actually push back and say, you know, tell me the real statistics. And then they talk about chemotherapeutic benefits of, you know, 1%, 2%, 3 maximum 6%. They're not being honest with people up front. Exactly. That, that you've hit, you've hit it. Cause, and, 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 and people need to realize this, that there are two ways to lie. There's a, or, or fraud. There's two frauds. The fraud of commission and the fraud of omission. Omission. Okay, so commission, you tell an out and out lie. You know, today's Monday. Okay, it's just a lie. Okay, but not mentioning what day it is, is just omitting the truth. And that's what they do. They don't tell you, like, if you've ever seen the victims, and like absolute victims of people with tongue cancers and head and neck cancers, when they take off jaws and they- It's uh, horrifying. I mean, oh my, it's, it's like- horrifying. If you told the person that that's what they would do, they wouldn't have chosen it, you know. But anyway, so what I want women to realize is that when you get this diagnosis, uh, when you get it, first of all, say, okay, that's not what's going on. 
It's not a ductal carcinoma inside. It's not an invasive. Doc- you know, forget all those words. They mean nothing. All they are is histological descriptions. What I mean by that is they are a description of the, of the microanatomy, of what the cells look like. But they don't tell you anything else. They don't tell you how you got it or how to get rid of it. So it's useless information. So forget that word. Forget that. That's not who I, you I'm are. I'm so glad you said that because I have a Facebook group and people always introduce themselves by, I have a stage three invasive ductal carcinoma that is grade two and ERPR positive and HER2 negative and KI67 of blah, 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 blah. And people think that like it means something because they've been convinced, they've been so conditioned to identify with that that and that it's meaningful. And I say like, that doesn't matter. Tell me about what happened to you in the last three years? That's what I want to hear. I want to hear what's going on. I want to hear where this came from. I don't care what it is because I'm not, I'm going to do the same thing no matter what it is. I don't care if it's ductile. I don't care if it's lobular. I don't care if it's medullary. I don't care if it's tubular. I don't care. And I don't, I don't, I'm not coming from an insensitive place. I'm coming from a place that it's meaningless. Exactly. It's because it is it is meaningless, but they use it. You see why they use it, though, and I understand it. They use it because there's a couple of reasons they, they want that what they call a diagnosis. It, it makes them, first of all, sound smart. It makes them, you know, gives them credibility. Well, like, oh, he knew he came up. Oh, wow, this word. But anyway, but the most important thing is that it, and this is the worst part about medicine. And, and, and I want everyone to realize this. Doctors, except for us two, and a couple others. Don't think. They're not permitted to think. What you do is you get the diagnosis, whatever it is, a word, and that's the nomenclature of the medical world. You stick it into the algorithm. And I got to tell you, I don't care what you call it, but it's a sales algorithm. It's going to sell you services and products. Okay. And once you get into that, now you're in the system. Because if you didn't get a biopsy, they don't know what to do. They don't, they need to get that histological description. Remember everybody, histology just means microscopic. So they need to get that microscopic description so they can stick it on there. And then they'll tell you what to do. It's not like the doctors sat around and said, Hmm, look at this and look at that. Mm, mm, No, no. Well, my doctor absolutely insists I do this. Well, of course, that's what, because why? Because that's what the algorithm says. So American Society of Clinical Oncology, American Society of Pediatrics, American Society of Cardiology, all of these professional organizations have algorithms. They have what they call guidelines, but they're not guidelines, they're instructions. And if you, and if the doctor steps out of them, he's in trouble, she's in trouble. So that's the point. The point is, so don't, listen, you don't have this condition that they said, You've got some chronically fermenting cells. They came about in a, in a certain way, and we're going to help you get out of that. But that's what I, the first thing. And so then I tell the people to understand that. And, you know, what we were talking about before a minute ago, and I wanted to tell you the other side of it. We were talking about fear and anger and regret. And all that is being negative on the immune system. I've seen the opposite. You know, the, the woman, I, 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 maybe everybody's heard this one, but she came in. They, they wheeled her in on a gurney. She had breast cancer everywhere in her body every bone lung adrenals ever she came and she was on oxygen she came in she had just come from her oncologist who said she had three weeks to live he or she should have had their tongues removed and put into the uh into the other side but <laughs> <laughs> but, <Sorry>. uh, <laughs> but uh that's an evil thing to tell someone but anyway she had oh, seen and, some of and from what 
basis they can make that because I mean, I've seen people live with diffuse metastatic disease for a very long time. I mean, I, I know someone who lived with brain meds for five years. So to tell someone that they have three weeks to live is like a ridiculous thing, but do you know what that does? If that person believes them, then that's exactly how long they're going to do it. They'll do it. We had a guy, we had a guy in the office who had a glio and we were talking to him and he kept looking at the clock. I said, what are you looking at? He goes, they told me when I'm going to die, but I, I can't remember when. He was serious. He wasn't joking, but I'm, that's how powerful it is. Yeah, so this, I know. this woman here, because she had seen some of my videos, when I walked up to the gurney in the middle of the room, she grabbed my arm and she said, thank God, now I know I'm going to make it. Six weeks later, she was jogging to the clinic with her husband behind her with a car, make sure she was okay. Eight years later, I get a postcard from Paris. She was completely fine. Now, why? Why? Because she didn't say, I believe. I didn't, I think. Maybe she said, I know. And what I said, when you know what's going to happen before it happens, that's called faith. That's real faith. Faith, I don't think faith has anything to do with religions. It has to do with connecting to that place. Uh, and that's the power we have of the positive. So what I tell people is like, you're, you're, you're peeling a potato and you cut your finger. You don't believe it's going to heal. You know it's going to heal. You rinse it off, you put a Band-Aid on it, and it's done. Well, when you know this is going to heal, you don't even need to see me or anybody. You're done. Because, but, I mean, you have to know it. So yeah. I think part of our job as, as, as doctors is, uh, is to teach them. It's awesome. It's, it's truly awesome uh, physiology. This machine that we live in, you cut it and it heals. It's it doesn't happen with machine. the Mercedes. It heals. It's a perfect machine. It will, but and it'll but heal. you're right. You right. do have to believe that you are capable of healing because if you don't believe you're capable of healing, you will not heal. And that's the big one. That, and I can't, you know what, and why, that's why I tell people the best thing you can do for your health, don't go to the hospital because you're going to go in there. It's sorcery. And I, I'm serious. I know it sounds like a joke, but it's truly sorcery. Look up sorcery. Sorcery is casting a spell. Sorcery is when they, you have to get, you wear certain clothing and you have to make certain things and you, you chant certain things. Well, think about it. You walk into the doctor's office. They're sitting behind the desk with the white coat. They got all their degrees on the wall and then they pronounce the word. Ah, and you've heard people say, I'm sure a billion times before I was diagnosed, once I was diagnosed after, you know, as if that were the turning port in your life, but that di- that, but that's not you. That was a snapshot of one aspect of you at one moment in your life. But that's not you. Just like that picture of you when you were five years old is not you. It's the same thing. It's a snapshot. So anyway, but that's the thing I think uh, I, my, my, word, my, my um, advice to everybody is we got to get out of that spell. And unfortunately, because we grew up in the Western world and we believe that doctors tell the truth and we believe that hospitals know everything, that we have to uh, learn to do what I was saying before about, about meditating, learning to shut up and turn our minds off. Because when they say that, it's kind of like a screw worm that goes deep into your heart. And you can't get it out. I mean, I, I was talking to a lady yesterday on Zoom, and I could see that no matter what I told her, she had already heard from somebody else. I forget what it was, that something was going to cause something. Whatever it was, because she heard it, she couldn't get it out. She couldn't not. Well, she couldn't a get lot it of times it's hard to unring the bell, right? Because I, 
I, I still think that the vast majority of people don't know about functional medicine. They don't know about integrative medicine. They don't know that there are other choices. And even if they do, they think of it as an and rather than an or. And I'm not saying it shouldn't be in that I believe that people are capable of healing, but the fear mongering that happens, it's so hard for people to believe it and face the doctors and face their family. Like the pressures are so tremendous. I think that's one of the hardest parts is that there is no fundamental belief that you are capable of healing yourself. Exactly. 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 And then, and, and, and one thing you just hit on uh, that uh, is, I don't know how to deal with it. And that is when you have a family where your significant other is against what you're doing. Oh, you know, and I don't care what side you're on. If you want conventional and your spouse wants you not to, it's better to follow your heart. It's always better to follow your heart, but you got to know your heart. Make sure it's not fear, but follow your heart. And if that's where your heart is, if you believe in it, good, you're going to get the benefit of that belief, what I was talking about. But on the other hand, so that's why if I get a couple in there and they're, they're like this, I tell them they have to work it out because otherwise it's, it's not going to work. Or you have daughters or parents or everybody's, they have to understand. So I had one woman actually tell her husband, I love you very much, but uh, I, I'm going to leave you for a year. I need a year to heal. I need to go heal. Let's meet again in one year. No calls, no anything. Let's meet again in one year. And if we still love each other and we're still ready, let's do it. If not, I, I need to go heal. It was fantastic. She did that. And she went, she changed her life. She lived by herself. She felt good. She, she made it. I don't know what happened with the, her and her husband, but, but the point is this, uh, I, I'm not telling people to do that, but I'm saying we have to realize how destructive relationships can be. And it could be a friend. It could be your best friend who's telling you that, who you have, whoever you care about. If they're against what you're doing, it's going to cause the same problem as hearing the diagnosis. So that's why the mind to me is the most important thing. And then secondly, I would say we got to get rid of parasites. You got to go to a whole uh, biological dentist who'd really may listen. There's a lot of fake ones out there. You got to go to one who, um, what is it? The IAOMT, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. IAOMT. Yeah. yeah. Also that, then look at their website and then look at their website and look under services. And if they say they do root canals, they're not holistic. Okay. I mean, they're not biological dentists. Yeah. They can't do it. They have to, it can't be on their services. Um, and make sure, you know, and then get a real evaluation. So you do that and you got to find a doctor who's, um, open enough to help you, uh, get some antiparasitics. You've got to do a juice fast. I put everybody on a green juice cleanse. Um, I have them get, um, uh, initially two colonics a week. Uh, got to find a lymphatic therapist, a certified lymphatic therapist, because they they exist. I didn't know it. It's much different because, you know, nurses and doctors, we learn anatomy, but we don't, we only will really remember the details of the anatomy that we work on daily, right? So if you're a surgeon and you've got a case tomorrow on, on a pancreas, you're going to know everything about that pancreas and, you know, but you didn't yesterday remember it all. So what I'm saying, but, but the thing, and the same with the nurse, a nurse, even though she had training, is not going to know it 
the way a lymphatic therapist is. And the reason I say that's important, suppose you had a lumpectomy, suppose you had four lymph nodes removed, the lymphatic therapist will know which way to move that lymph. And they use something called electro uh, ELT, electro uh, lymphatic therapy, which mm-hmm. is these uh, gases, and they use manual. So that's very important. The uh, juice cleansing is and as long as you can go, if you can go four weeks, eight weeks, whatever you can do, uh, get your colon clean, um, go to bed early, go to bed early because you gotta be remember tomorrow begins today and um i love that if you go to bed at 11 p.m and you wake up at 7 a.m you got eight hours now the 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 big the big most important thing about sleep to understand is that it it occurs in 90 minute cycles and there's two kinds of sleep there's restorative sleep and there's dream sleep which they call rem now the early part of the evening is dominated by restorative like 70 80 percent of this 90 minute cycle is restorative and the rest is dreaming however there's a set point a biological set point has to do with our circadian rhythm which is our relationship with the earth it's around 1 a.m i don't know anywhere from 12 to 2 or something it changes it's almost like we get a reset and our new biological day begins we start producing cortisol we start making prolactin you know it's it, it the whole new biological day now that day if it begins and you just got to bed at 11 you didn't even get any so those glands mm-hmm. did not get restored but if you went to bed at seven or eight you had three cycles of restorative sleep so now you're going to begin your day differently but if you went so what i'm saying so you go to bed at, and the reason we dream dream is like um Whereas restorative sleep cleans out, you know, is auto, autophagy, autophagy, and it's uh, it's cleaning also up the- like where you're processing memory, right? Deciding well, what you're holding dream. on to, exactly. deciding what you're what you're getting rid of, right? Because all day long, right? You you'll be in a situation where your boss says something and you can't say what you feel, so you hold it in, or or you know, we have all those things inside of us all day long, and we have fears and regrets, and we have all this stuff. Mm-hmm. It comes out. So I don't try to figure out what your dreams mean. They're just, it's just like a, key, a, uh, a tea kettle, the steam blowing off. Just yep. so, and if you don't dream, they've done sleep studies. If you don't dream, you're going to be extremely angry. You have no tolerance. So if you went to bed at 11, you wake up at seven, you're going to say, oh, I had plenty of dreams. I feel good. All that. But you didn't restore. And if you do that for a decade, two decades, well, you are guaranteeing not only that you're going to age earlier, but that your immune system is going to be shrunken, that your, 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 your cells are going to be old and, and worn was, out. Quick. This was the story of my life before I found it, functional medicine. This was the story of my life. I hadn't had a dream yeah. in 10 years. So angry. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's what happens when you burn the candle at both ends. Right. Well, especially a surgeon. You were, you, you yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, I want to know. For all those people who have gotten through treatment and they're in that now what period, and probably the one of the most frequent questions I get asked is, you know, how do I follow? And I, I I'm curious as as to how you feel about this because I'll tell you that I really don't like. I believe in continuing to promote health but I don't believe in mammograms. I don't believe in CAT scans. I don't believe in PET scans. I, so I'm curious, how do you follow your people? 
Well, that's a very good question. It really depends on what they, uh, how they, at what condition they left our, our center. You know, um, it, you know how 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 far, you know, how how much progress was made. Um, mm -hmm. But but exactly the same thing. And, and in fact, if someone comes in with a, a with a pet has done a pet scan and a cat scan, and I and they're sitting there without anything in front of me, and they go. Look, I have this two point three by three point six centimeter thing in there, and they can define it exactly. What I have them do is, I say, okay, what I'd like you to do is to go home and draw out all of the, draw your body and draw those tumors. Then, right next to it, draw them half as big, and right next to it, draw them half as big until there's nothing. And then, and okay, so. So because I, what I say to them is that every day throughout the day, maybe a million times a day, your mind is going to land on those tumors, what you think those tumors are. And the minute you land there, I want you to shrink them down to nothing. Because So I tell them, if you think it, shrink it. Because I want you to leave the situation, leave the thought with them gone. Right? And so it's very, it's very, very important. And um, uh, so I agree with you 100%. I tell people, you don't even need to follow it. What you need to do is just live really healthy. But if you've got somebody who insists, it's always the least uh, damaging, like breast ultrasounds and thermography and stuff like that. Um, but, um, I said, but, but, but you're right. The moment you're thinking about that, then you're giving that stuff existence. You're giving yeah. it, you're, you're, you're acknowledging it. And what we want to say is you're no longer there. You know, you know what the best health insurance is? Live healthy. Yep. That's, that's exactly that's right. That's and right. and I, I, I really do believe that what we think about grows. And so if we're going to get, if we're going to get a CAT scan every six months in perpetuity, yeah. we're doing nothing more than manifesting the return of the cancer. Exactly. Exactly. And so um, not to mention that CAT scans and PET scans and even mammograms, these are ionizing radiation. I mean, they're, they're damaging the DNA themselves. So, you know, going back to using screening mammography, I mean, I just never understood using oh. a test that causes cancer to screen for cancer. How did they get away? I don't even know how they got away with it. It's um, astounding. Right. And what do they do most of the time is they confirm it with ultrasound. Mm -hmm. well, yep. I mean, unless it's just, calcifications, but even still, you know, yeah. once a woman has an abnormality and the, the frequency of abnormality on a screening mammogram is somewhere between 25 to 50%. So once you get on that abnormal train, that train comes to the station every six months for years. Yeah. Yep, so yep. now we're talking about radiating women with multiple views a number of times a year. And it's way more than those safety studies that we did 30 years ago. Exactly. I think it was about how we continue to get away with it. And I, you know, I am blasted every time I talk about mammogram on social media and you know look, i'm really? a big girl and i put my big girl pants on years ago so i'm fine yeah with good. whatever you know women are going to come back at me with and there are some people that legitimately believe that their mammogram found their breast cancer and maybe it did but that has nothing to do with a mammogram saving their life because exactly. that picking up that 
that breast cancer when it was at five millimeters is no different than you feeling it when it's a centimeter or a centimeter and a half. And the truth is that most of those breast cancers that are found at, at a five millimeter size, they're, they weren't going to become anything anyway. Exactly. And so exactly. now we've committed these women to that diagnosis exactly. and they are forever in fear of their lives right. and they get over-treated. And so, you know, we have a population of millions of women who have survived breast cancer, but we radiated them. We gave them chemotherapy. We caused heart damage, we caused brain damage. We're causing bone damage with all the aromatase inhibitors. And mm. we, we are basically condemning them to a, a shitty life that sucks. And for many of those women, like every year, the, the same number of women die of breast cancer as die of a complication of a fracture. And we are causing a lot of those fractures with the aromatase mm. inhibitors. So, you know, if we are saving women from breast cancer, but condemning them to a different death, what are we really doing? I mean, we're not right. accomplishing anything at all. Right. And, you know, all the, there were two or three studies this year released about how women treated for breast cancer have two to three more times the risk of dying of cardiovascular disease. And mm. we just have to ask ourselves, like, what are we doing? Because we are not saving lives. You know, you and I read that stuff and say, what? Why is it that our colleagues don't? Why is it they're, they're doing it? I mean, they're doing it. I don't know, you know how I, they I, I, can't I, I, be reading it. I, I, I sent the woman in to a radiologist for a, uh, for an, for a breast ultrasound. He said, uh, he called me up and said, I can't, I can't do it until she has a mammogram. And I said, yeah, well, I yeah, yeah. So you just, you, you irradiate your testicles and, the, and then uh, I'll, I'll send all my people. He hung I mean, up on me. Can you imagine if we told men starting at the age of 40, that they should go and have their testicles smashed between two plates smashed. so that they were a centimeter wide and radiated. And sometimes yeah. we're going to have that done twice a year. How many men would sign up for that shit? Exactly. 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 <laughs> I mean, it is astounding. And yet women, they do it. Yeah. They do it. And they feel bad when they don't do it. Uh-huh. Because we've convinced them that mammograms save lives. I can't believe we're even allowed to say that. I Not really right. Can't we're even allowed I, to I, say I, that. I uh, hear you. I hear you. It's mind boggling. I think I was uh, years ago when I was first writing a paper about this. At that point, it was uh, a 12% increase in DCIS since mammograms. But in other words, they're finding things that would not have become, right. and they even call it stage zero. Right. Well, to, and, to and me, yet, zero means zero. Yeah. Uh, but they don't tell people that. They say, oh, but you still have breast cancer. Oh, we're going right. to treat you so you don't die. Yeah. Well, no one dies of DCIS. So why yeah. are we treating it? Well, 50% of the time that will go on to become an invasive cancer. Well, what if I change the reason it's happening? But no one talks about that. No one talks about that. 
No one talks about changing that internal environment. No one talks about dealing with your trauma or changing your diet or going to sleep at night. We're not talking about that. And as a result, we are getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And we're hurting people. We are hurting people. Really licensed to kill. Listen, you know, I wanted to ask you a question because I've, um, I noticed this more up till about the, ho- the great hoax of 2020 when that, ever since that, it's, it's not quite the same. But I used to notice that women with left-sided breast cancer many times had issues with their, with their mother or, 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 or them as a mother with their children and the right-sided with either spouse or um, occupation. And I was just wondering if you, because you deal exclusively with breasts, you must have. Do you have any sense of that at all? Or is I thought that, it was is the just... opposite. I thought the left, no, left side was spouse and the right side was mother. But hmm. uh, you know what? I Because I, I think heart, heart, heart and motherly love. I don't know. You, you may be right because it might be spousal. Maybe I have it wrong. But, um, I, you know, it was interesting. I, I had a woman. I had a woman with right side of breast cancer who had the worst relationship with her mother-in-law. So it's still spousal, but it was yeah. mother-in-law. So yeah, anyway, that's interesting. So, but um, I was just wondering. But you, I, so you've seen some sort of pattern. For the vast majority of my career, I was not awake enough to notice. But I'm, I'm going to pay more attention now. And you know, I deeply believe in that, and that there, there is a connection, and there is a reason why these things manifest themselves. But mm-hmm. I have yet to have someone with a diagnosis of breast cancer that doesn't have trauma, that hasn't had some major incident in the, in the three or so years preceding their diagnosis. And, um, and, you know, we're just going to see more and more of it. I mean, we're really on the infancy of what we're going to see because of that great hoax that you were talking about is going to have terrible downstream effects. Yeah, what we're seeing question. already, we're, you know, young people, advanced stage fours, just, yeah. you know, young, yeah, it's just, yep. it's just agreed. It's I mean, listen, uh, when you take the immune system out of the picture, that's what's going to happen. You can mess, right? yeah. Like mm-hmm. our immune system is the thing that's holding it all together. And when you take right. it out of the picture, that's what's going to happen. Right. So you turn into a Petri dish. It is so crazy to me that people went and they just said, give it to me. Like I want it. I remember, I remember standing in line at the grocery store with two women who were in and around my age talking about, they couldn't wait to go get their children. And I mean, it was so like, who volunteers their child for an wow. experiment? Wow. And they couldn't wait. They couldn't wait for, for it to be allowed to be given to children between five and 12. I mean, like, so wow. crazy to me. Wow. But, but we live in, in this perpetual state of fear. And we believe this, this story that we're sold. And right. And it's that story. It's the same fear that they do with the cancer. Yeah, they, for sure. They scare you. They scare you. And you know, one of the things you know, when we look at the when we look at the, uh, um, it's basically the an advanced stress response. But the things that happen, you know, 
uh, of course, you're, you, you know, your blood shunts away from your internal organs to your muscles. Um, your immune system gets suppressed because you don't need your immunity right now if you're running from an, a lion. Yeah, and exactly. you basically get you basically get a psychological frontal lobotomy because you no longer need to reason. If a guy's coming at you with a gun, you can't say, "Hmm, should I go left or right?" You just you got to reflexively. Go. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. and and so, if so, you are running away from a saber toothed tiger, like you talked about, like you don't have to worry about fighting the common cold. So exactly. your body can't fuel everything at once. So if you're under this chronic stress, your immune system drops right out. Because right. and then you you're get not going to worry about a cold if you have to run away from a tiger. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what happens. All these things turn off that we need. And so in a state of fear, so that's what they do. They get you in the hospital. They say, you, got, you have this diagnosis, and we've got to do this by next Tuesday. Next Tuesday? Yeah, next Tuesday. It's got to come off next Tuesday. Whoa. You know, you don't have time to think about it. And before you know it, you've got body parts missing and all that. And you didn't even get a chance to do your due diligence. And that's what I always want people to do. If you're going to buy a car, you're going to buy a home, you're going to do your due diligence. This is more important than buying a car or a home. Do your due diligence. Realize it's been, it's been around at least eight years. It's, it's you know, it, you know, unless it's blocking a vital organ, but you'd already know that. You'd know that way in advance. It's not, it doesn't just suddenly happen. But um yeah, you've got to do your due diligence. And, and you know, the other thing is eating. Um, I was just like everyone with uh, breast cancer to realize that for many years, there was this uh, misinformation out there about soy. And that's because they didn't study. They didn't take the, their study deep enough. You know, yeah, yes, it's a phytoestrogen, but it, it, it binds to beta receptors, which shrink tumors like estriol. Okay, so... Japanese women, in fact, when we, when we did population studies, ever since we've been measuring populations, the Japanese have always lived 10 years longer than the rest of us. So the question is, if soy is so bad, why, why do they live longer than, than us, right? Um, and the other thing they, they do, they eat a lot of seaweed. In fact, it's said that they eat 13.8 milligrams of iodine a day in their seaweed. Now that 13.8 milligrams, and they're telling us what, 600 micrograms is what we need. Now, and you know, we were talking about dental meridians. Well, the dental, the the thyroid and the breast are on the same dental meridian. And the thyroid thyroid and the breast are the only two organs that have powerful sodium iodide transporter systems. So the breast during pregnancy is actually extracting more iodine from the blood than the thyroid is. And that is because the baby needs it for, the embryo needs it for um, uh, central nervous system, right? So if, if it was born without it, it would be a, what they used to call a cretin. So it's very, very important. So, so iodine and iodide, they're two different things. So the iodide, which gets attached to the tyrosine that becomes a thyroid molecule, goes to your cells, releases the iodide, depolarizes the mitochondrial membrane and causes the causes the mitochondria to make energy so that's how that works but the iodine the the molecular two iodine um atoms together iodine is necessary in the in the in the um degradation of or the metabolism of estrone to estriol which is good why because estrone is an alpha receptor agonist it's going to stimulate the alpha receptor which makes tumors grow and estriol stimulates the beta now yes it does stimulate the alpha but mildly but it mostly stimulates the beta so that's good because if it's stimulating the alpha mildly but it's stimulating the beta strongly 
That means the net effect is tumor shrinkage. However, now it's sitting there just like a tamoxifen would, blocking it. Nobody, an, estri, an estradiol can't get there. An estrone can't get there. So it's ba- basically a tamoxifen on steroids. It's yeah. doing other things. It's shrinking too. So um, I just want everybody to know that soy, you know, soy is, is good and, uh, and iodine is essential. It's just so essential. And we, there, I, I, there's a great paper. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but it's called iodophobia. And uh, it's, it was written, uh, oh, maybe in the 50s or 60s by a doctor, how doctors are so afraid of iodine. And uh, it's crazy, but I need, very, very I need to read so, that. I need to yeah. read that. This has been like so chock full of everything that I love to talk about. I just want to review some things uh, for people to take away from this conversation. So the first thing is believe that you are capable of healing, Right. From, from the start, that the very first thing that you need to do is get rid of the fear and believe that you are capable of healing. Take your time, do your research, do your due diligence, decide what is right for you, trust your instinct. If you have to go it alone, go it alone, but do the right thing for you. And for the most part, you have time. There are some yeah. very, very rare instances where it's an emergency, but for the mo- and you know who you are right? That's the person in the hospital with a pathologic fracture, or they have brain mats or, but this is, these are pretty rare instances, or they have something called inflammatory breast cancer, which is very, very, very rapidly progressive. But outside of that, and that is the vast minority outside of that, you have time, but you have to believe that you're capable of healing, deal with parasites, see a biologic dentist, and we'll, we'll post the link to how you know who is and who is not a biologic dentist. Do your green juice cleanse for as long as you can. Where do you sit on fasting? Well, uh, yeah, and there's only one kind of fast, water. It's very, very, it's, it's important and it's different uh, than, than juicing. Juicing is, I call it juice feasting because you're mm-hmm. actually eating a liquid, you're eating a liquid meal. Whereas water is fasting, you're not taking in any nutrients. So there's two things, two different things that happen to you physiologically. The juice cleanse basically is just like changing the, the water in your aquarium. You're going to be drinking three, four, five liters a day until you're just peeing out of both ends and just cleaning it out and you're not eating. That's good. And you're getting every nutrient you need except for fat and fiber. You're getting all the amino acids you need. You're getting all the glucose you need, you're getting all the chelated minerals, you're getting phytonutrients. So juicing is a feast. So it's a different thing. And you can go for eight weeks, 10 weeks, uh, but it'll just completely change your your body. You'll become extremely alkaline. Um, But the fasting is different. Once you get into day four, uh, or actually three, um, you're in ketosis immediately. And you're in ketosis. And what happens now is every organ in the body, except the brain, starts using your fat for fuel as ketones. On day nine, the brain switches over and the brain becomes able to use ketones. Okay. And that's when the real fast begins. Now, and also they notice that gluconeogenesis decreases at that point, which means your, your glucose is not as high. And and, and I just, I, I mean, I had a woman from London with a again, told by the sorcerer in the hospital, in the uh, house of horrors that she had six months to live. Um, she came to us and she said, I want to do a water fast until I'm, until I'm, it's gone. So we did it. And on day 41, she said, oh, okay, I'm done. 
and it's always 41. I don't know why it's not 40 or 42, but it's 41 always. Anyway, it t- the, the refeeding, you have to do this under supervision. You cannot just do it. But the refeeding is a big deal. Yeah. You can't just start eating again. And it's more, I mean, if you don't, if you refeed wrong, you, you can undo all, any benefit. So, to, I mean, we're talking about long fasts. I'm not talking about a three or four day fast. Yeah. But anyway, um, she waited two months just to make sure there was, it was real. Went back to London and had a clean PET scan and she had disseminated. So, I mean, you see what happens is the body needs to make glucose, needs to make glutamine, needs to make certain th- other non-essential amino acids. And so it's going to go after every non-essential tissue and use it. That means plaques, that means in your arteries, that means cysts, that means tumors, anything. That, we had a guy who was, who was scheduled for a, a bypass surgery because he had, I had like a 96% occlusion. After his, after his just 21-day fast, he was already down to 70%. He didn't need to have the surgery. So it cleans out everything. So that's what water does. Water is different. You're in complete ketosis. And believe me, by the time the biggest battle with any of these cleansings is the battle between appetite and hunger. None of us have experienced hunger unless we fasted. If you want to know what hunger is, you go to Somalia. Okay, you see bloated stomachs. Okay, so when people say I'm starving, I want to slap them. Um, so you're not starving. So okay, yeah. we're appetite-y. And and how do you know you how do you know it's an appetite? Because you can name it. I want to. Yeah. Okay, if you know what you want, then it's okay. Because hunger just says yeah. Yeah. So anyway, anything. but right. But anyway, so that's it. So once you get past that, so the hardest time is three days. So when I hear people say, "Well, I'm gonna do a three-day fast," I go, "Oh, that's the hardest part." Just go one more day, you'll say, oh, okay, well, I feel good. Oh, okay. And you'll get better and better and better. So anyway, that's my, my take on fasting. Okay. So a green juice feast for two weeks, three weeks, as long as you can do it. Uh, colonics two times a week. Lymphatic right. therapy. Uh, at least three times a week. And if you had any kind of, oh, well, if you've, if you've got a mass and you've got some swollen lymph nodes, for sure, maybe four or five times. A good lymphatic therapist, she'll know how to do it. And I'm, I'm telling you, I have had women with breast tumors like this, half the size after a good uh, lymphatic session. Because a lot of that's congestion. Yeah. You got to just... For sure. You still really For sure. Um, bed early, including soy and iodine in your diet. And know that you have the power to do this and you don't have to look to anyone. You have the power to do this. Beautiful. And that was what you just said. No. Okay. So maybe at the beginning, you're going to believe it, but I want you to start studying about healing and health and nutrition until that belief becomes knowing because with belief, there's always doubt. If I say, I believe you, I also doubt you. But if I say, I know, I know. So knowing and believing are different things. So you want to know you're going to heal. And when you know you're going to heal, you're healed. And that's what I want to do. The last thing that we didn't mention, we can do this perhaps on another time, is, uh, and I'm learning more and more about it, is the incredible value of uh, movement, which they now call exercise in our modern world. But do you know that grip strength correlates to uh, um, survivability with cancer? Mm -hmm. Grip, Grip strength. Yeah, I mean, and and the width and the the, the girth of your uh, 
gastro, your uh, calf, uh, is that a calf? Yeah. Ca uh, wait, what is the it? Gastronemias yeah, sorry, around your calf. Mm -hmm. Is that what they call it? A calf? Okay. I forgot that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that, that girth, that girth also correlates with, with long, with longevity. I mean, yeah. and your ability. So yeah. it's very, because we it's, have, so it's a measure of muscle mass and fitness and yeah. Yeah. So every 90 minutes, whatever you're doing, you got a day job, get up, go outside for 10 minutes, jumping jacks, push-ups, uh, stationary bike, do whatever you got to do. Get out of breath for every, every 90 minutes for 10 minutes, and then go back to doing whatever you're doing. And if yeah, you do you're, that, you're more generous than I am. I say for every 45 minutes that you're sitting, uh, you have to have 15 minutes of movement. Oh, well, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I love that. But mm -hmm. I didn't think that anyone would do it. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're probably a little more realistic than I am. But then if you're going to sit for 90 minutes, then you have to move for 30. Yeah, you should. You're right. You're right. Yeah. And, you know, because we weren't, we weren't meant to be sitting all day, right? No. Sitting is the new smoking. And yeah. we, we, we're nomadic people. We're meant to be constantly moving right? We, we don't have refrigerators and stoves. And, you know, if you wanted to cook your food, you had to go gather the wood. Yeah, and yeah, if yeah. you wanted to eat, you had to go find the food. It's right, not right, like right. it was readily available for you. You happened, you happened onto it in the, mm -hmm. in the course of your day on your journey. And mm -hmm. we've stopped journeying. And as a result, we're sick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a big deal. Right? So you get it 100%. So um, I don't know. It's uh, you know we should uh, wow. It's very rare, very rare to meet a physician that knows this stuff. Very rare. Yeah. Well, when you become a patient, the world becomes yeah. pretty clear, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, not that I want my colleagues to become patients, but unfortunately, it's the only thing that has you take your blinders off that yeah. you either get sick or your parent gets sick or your child gets sick and you realize how broken the system is because otherwise you just go through it totally blind yeah. and you believe that what they taught you in medical school was complete and true. And now we know that it was neither. No, no. And no, no. I remember on rounds one time, I think I was fourth year medical student and we were doing rounds and the older woman with anemia and they said, oh, she has anemia of chronic disease. I mean, anemia of old age, old age. And no one could explain it to me. It took, it, it took after medical school, I realized, oh, she didn't have enough uh, 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 hydrochloric acid in her stomach. Yeah. So she wasn't, she wasn't she absorbing wasn't the iron. Yeah. Again, they don't, they just look for names. Anemia well, of old and, age. And also it's, it's that thing that you were talking about in the beginning. It's so fragmented that the hematologist isn't thinking about the fact that she has no acid in her stomach and the ramifications right. of having no acid in your stomach. So, you exactly. know, the hematologist is looking at their tiny snapshot and not mm -hmm. looking at the landscape at all. Exactly. And, exactly. and the hematologist is no more guilty than anyone else. Right. And so, you know, the endocrinologist that's treating everyone for hypothyroidism isn't connecting at all that there's a problem in the gut. They're not even right. thinking about the gut. The gut, as far as they're concerned, has nothing to do with it. 
And, you know, there's not a problem that they can't solve with their prescription pad. I mean, I know no one like writes out prescriptions anymore, but you know what I mean, right? And so, you know, unfortunately, I, I don't know how much more broken we can be before we start to take this apart completely and put it back together the correct way. I, well, I think I, I think it's great we hope. can't get worse, but then we get worse. <laughs> what, yeah, well, I, I'm 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 thinking the great I'm hoping the great hoax back, backfired, but I have a feeling these guys have planned for everything. But um, you know, I have some friends who are in uh, some Spanish physicians, and one guy I know really well. He's an oral surgeon, just brilliant guy. They do work, and they look. They took they took the they took Pfizer, Moderna. They took all the different ones, and they've evaluated them under the microscope and they said there's no mrna there are there i'll show you something there are nanobots there's graphene oxide and there's hydrogel and these things are self-assembling nanobots and well i have got the i'll I'll privately send send them to you but the uh of the microscopic pictures of what they're seeing it's not even doubt that we are not being given what we're told Right. Because the whole thing is a hoax. Mm -hmm. The whole thing was manufactured. I don't think that they intended for it to be as deadly as it was, but the whole thing was orchestrated. And so there's no doubt in my mind that things aren't as they seem or what we were told or anything like that, because truth has never been part of this equation. If any of you have the time to read this book, The Invisible Rainbow. By Arthur Furstenberg, he traces the use of electricity in hum- if, by, by humans. And I didn't realize how far it went back. I think in the 1600s they were using it, in 1700s and stuff. But anyway, and he looks at and he looks at what we call epidemics and stuff, and relates them to that and, and the way that we feel, and that we're really being affected by that. Like in 1918, that's when all the telegram, all the telegraphs went up, mm-hmm. right? And you know, and so anyway, but it's a it's a very well done book. It's it's very important to understand it, and I think we have to really all be aware of the fact that there are everywhere five G towers now. We we know that four G paralyzes our voltage gated calcium channels, which means calcium floods into our cells, produces peroxynitrates, produces hydroxyl radicals, and stuff, stuff like that. Okay, mm-hmm. um, but we don't really know what five G does, but we do know that suffice that to these say, high- it can't be good. No, oh no, it's got to be far worse. And now they're talking about six G. But these hydrogels and these 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 graphene can both send and receive signals from five G. Mm. The graphene, so they can actually control us. So we have we can, and here's here's our biggest thing as humanity. Remember, we are the elephant. If you want the elephant to go uphill and the elephant sits down, you're not going uphill. Mm-mm. Okay, we are the elephant. We have to remember we are the elephant. All we have to do is just say no. All of us. I know. And, and, and they can't do it. There's nothing they can do. But the thing is, they've got most of us hypnotized. Yeah. So we still, we need to figure it out, but we, can, we cannot keep complying. We can't comply because if we comply, we're going to be, there's only going to be a few of us left. Yeah. Well, I'm Tragic. with you in being non-compliant. And mm-hmm. I'm always delighted by our conversations. And so until the next one, thank you so much one. for being here. Loved yeah, it. Thank you.
Uh, where too. can people connect with you? Uh, well, drlodi.com is my website. I don't know how active that is. It's active, yeah. And then, uh, of course, an Oasis of Healing in Arizona. That's, you know, where I'm my original place. And it's been, it's been there about 19 years now. So it's, it's got some legs. And, um, and other pretty, than that, I'm you're pretty active on Instagram and. Yeah, Instagram and um, at, it's at Dr. Thomas Lodi. So Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. Well, they just stole my Facebook. Um, uh, YouTube, Dr. Thomas Lodi. Yeah. And so every Sunday night in America at 5 p.m. Arizona time is so a live stream. 5 p.m. on the East. Yeah. You do that live, which is so great. It's, um, it's like a couple hours. It goes for a long time. Yeah. So, um, but that that's probably the best way. And then, um, you know, I, I do consultations, but uh, it's really hard because I'm only one person. So can't do that many. But re the reason I developed that, con I have like this program for people. It's because during the hoax, when people couldn't travel, I tried to figure out what can they do at home if they can't, yeah. you know. And then so then I always say, here's the program I recommend that you do and find a doctor that I can collaborate with that'll help you and all that sort of thing. And so yeah. that's what I would do. If I, so if I were to uh, talk to somebody from whatever state or country, that's what I, I would, that's what I would do is give them a home program and tell them we've got to find someone that'll work with us. Great advice. Yep, yep. Dr. Lodi, it was wonderful to see you. And thank, thank you. you all for listening and watching. And we'll see you next time on Keeping Abreast. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Keeping Abreast podcast with Dr. Jack. I hope you found the discussion informative and empowering. Remember, breast health is health. So by staying informed and taking proactive steps, you have the power to optimize your well-being. My team and I encourage you to apply the knowledge gained from today's episode to make positive changes in your life and share what you've learned with others. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback and support mean the world to us and help us to reach more people who can benefit from these conversations. Stay connected with me on social media where I share additional resources, advice, updates, and announcements related to breast health. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Dr. Jen Simmons. And remember, my Jen has two ends. So until next time, remember to stay proactive, informed, and confident in your breast health journey. The key to your health is you.